This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... The security situation has improved a lot, allowing many people to come back to their various villages. The diaspora are also coming back to celebrate their weddings. That's Diben Chofo, governor of Cameroon's northwest region, where separatist violence has eased enough that thousands of residents who fled are returning to their homes. Details coming up also. We'll have a live report in the U.S.-Africa summit. Egypt's president has asked the U.S. to help foster an accord in Ethiopia's massive dam on the Nile. And Morocco missed out on the World Cup after losing to France, but... They can still finish third. We have these stories and more on African News Tonight. So the U.S.-Africa summit is winding down. VOA reporter Ignatius Anor is standing by at the Washington Convention Center headquarters of the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit to brief us on the goings-on. Welcome to African News Tonight, Ignatius. We, we may have lost Ignatius, but we will come back to him. African youth are attending the U.S.-Africa Leaders' Summit applaud attempts by President Joe Biden's administration to strengthen relations between Washington and the continent while empowering its youth. For more, VOA's Mike Hove spoke to Cynthia Chegwenya and Achalika Christian Lucky, both youth ambassadors of the African Union. Lucky kicked off the conversation by stressing the importance of youth inclusion at the summit. I think it's very important because most of the decisions that were to be made uh, will be decisions that will benefit young people or my young people. Uh, so having them to be part of this conversation only goes a, young, a long way to show that uh, the U.S. and the African uh, Union and uh, countries in Africa are recognizing the important role that young people are playing. Cynthia, let me turn to you. How do you think such discussions are benefiting, especially young women in Africa? Great. Um, I think they are three ways in which the deliberations and discussions we're having here at the U.S.-Africa Summit can benefit uh, young people, and particularly young women and other marginalized groups. The first being um, incentivizing policies that are inclusive on the African continent. And I think this is one of the um, initiatives that the, the U.S. government can champion, which is incentivizing more and more African governance to governments to be inclusive of not only women but young people as, as well as those from uh, minority or indigenous groups. And in addition to that, I think there is also a need to invest in education, Africa's education system, which serves to be an equalizer for those that are either marginalized or those that do not have um, certain opportunities. And I believe this also uh, brings about bridging a gap of uh, inequalities, which which was exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. And then finally, um, I think the discussions around um, youth inclusion or the inclusion of young women um, provides hope for many um, youth as they follow the deliberations and discussions at the summit, they're able to see themselves represented in the discussions that are happening, and they're given hope to say that I think with the right impetus and the right um, incentives, 
there could be more and more inclusion of young women in politics and governance. Christian, to come over to you, whatever is agreed on upon, as the youth, what do you think should be done to make sure that there is a follow-through, that everything promised is implemented? Well, I, I think that one of, like you rightly mentioned, uh, the challenge has always been good policies, implementation, and it has become a culture. Um, we, we need to develop a system of leadership within the continent where there's cause and effect. You know, if you don't do what you promise, there should be an effect. And also, young people uh, need to be uh, uh, sensitized more about how they can be able to engage to hold their governments accountable. As we wrap up this discussion, what are you hoping can be achieved that can benefit the youth of Africa? I'll reflect first on, on the case of Mozambique and the Southern Africa region where uh, we see that a lot of more, more and more young people are engaging in extremist activities and also there's uh, generally um, issues around a democratic recession and people no longer believe in participating in formal spaces such as voting or um, dialogues and symposia around governance. Um, instead, we see an increase in um, protests and uh, an increase in hashtagging or participating in um, invented spaces which is reflective of uh, a democratic recession. So I think my hope both for the region and the continent is a restoration of uh, trust in democratic processes. I think that's key uh, not just uh, because of the US-Africa summit but also resolving some of the uh, issues we're seeing on the continent. I think that hope and belief in a democratic system will help to curb corruption and will help to um, encourage more and more inclusivity um, among other prospects that it holds. That was Cynthia Chigwenya and Achaliki Christian Liki, youth ambassadors of the Africa Union who are participants of the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, speaking with VOA's Mike Hovey. So, VOA's Ignatius Anor is finally standing by the Washington Convention Center headquarters of the U.S.-Africa Leadership Summit to brief us on the goings-on. Welcome to Africa News Tonight, Ignatius. Thank you very much, Ihaya, for having me. So, President Biden has announced some goodies in the form of investment for Africa. What is Africa getting? Well, so Africa is getting exactly what the U.S. has promised at this uh, three days uh, summit. Africa is getting transparency and they're getting deep commitment, as the U.S. President Joe Biden said. A while ago, the very first roundtable discussion was held, and on that particular meeting was President Joe Biden himself, the African Union Chair Maki Sall, and the AU Commission Chairperson Musa Faki Mahamat, where they talked about exactly what Africa is looking for, peace, security, and the fight against terrorism. Maki Sall also talked talked about the fact that Africa needs uh, incredible infrastructure, including roads, railroads, railroads, and what President Joe Biden said yesterday, an investment into the digital economy. So Africa is expectant. Uh, Maki Sall, indeed, on behalf of, of the continent, has applauded President Joe Biden's partnership and his considerable time and efforts that his administration has committed to organizing this summit. He also, I should say, commended President Biden uh, following Biden's uh, announcement of the U.S.'s uh, uh, backing of an African uh, Union representative on the group of 20 wealthy nations, as well as a seat at the U.N. Security Council just a while ago. Uh, yes. 
So another thing that uh, kind of impressed me uh, was Biden saying uh, the U.S. Uh, in all uh, in all in uh, on Africa's future. He said the U.S. is in on Africa's future. And any reaction from leaders or delegates to this open arms policy by the U.S. to the continent? Absolutely. It is a statement that has been widely welcomed by the delegates and representatives attending the second U.S.-Africa Leader Summit as we speak. Um, they say that, indeed, uh, the relationship between both continents faltered along the line. Ten years ago, the U.S. was one of the leading investors in Africa that faltered, uh, which officials have regretted. But they have welcomed this uh, renewed intention for a partnership uh, moving forward. And they rightly praise uh, the president for his statement that the U.S. is all in uh, as far as uh, partnership with the continent is concerned. And they've also applauded the administration's efforts by committing billions and billions of dollars. A while ago, uh, President Biden also announced uh, several uh, other other programs and support for the African continent, particularly in tackling what he calls the backsliding of democratic principles of the African continent. Biden uh, said uh, that his administration will work with the United States Congress to invest in million dollars uh, to strengthen, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, accountability on the continent, facilitate voter registration, and essentially uh, help African continent to uh, continue to be on the path for democracy and freedom, uh, while applauding countries like Nigeria and Niger and Sudan, who have elections in 2023. He said that $165 million will be invested uh, towards uh, um, those elections that will be held in parts of the continent next year. Excellent reporting by our VOA reporter Ignatius Anor, live at the Washington D.C. Convention Center, where the U.S.-Africa Summit is going on. Thank you for your input, Ignatius. You're very welcome, yes. I'm very grateful for having me on the platform. The French news agency AFP says Rwandan President Paul Kagame, who is attending the U.S.-Africa Leaders' Summit, denies his country supporting rebels in neighboring DRC. Kagame was quoted as saying, the problem was not created by Rwanda, and it's not Rwanda's problem, it's Congo's problem. The U.N. says attacks by the largely Tutsi-led M23 rebels have displaced more than 370,000 people in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Last month alone, the UN reported that the fighters had shot or hacked to death 131 men, women and children as part of reprisals against civilians. A group of UN experts and human rights groups say Rwanda is supporting M23, a charge Kigali denies. Egypt's President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi has asked the U.S. administration to help Cairo and Ethiopia reach an accord over a mega dam on the Nile that could threaten water supplies to the region. The French news agency AFP says Sisi raised the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam with Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who met earlier this week with Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmad. Sisi called the issue very vital and existential matter for Egypt which gets 97% of its water for irrigation and drinking from the Nile. The talks between Cairo and Addis Ababa have continued, though Ethiopia has began filling and operating the initial turbines. 
Cameroon governors say several thousand of the 750,000 people displaced by the separatist conflict in two western regions are returning home for the first time since hostilities began in 2017. The military says no major separatist attack has been reported in the past six weeks, an indication that peace is returning to the regions where 3,500 people have been killed in five years. Mokedwin Kindeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. Several hundred people wait at a motor park in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé, to be transported to Bamenda. Bamenda is the capital of Cameroon's English-speaking northwest region, one of two where separatists have been fighting the government for the past five years. Cameroon police say it is the first time in several years that so many people are traveling to Bamenda. Benedict Ndi is a 44-year-old teacher who is traveling with his wife and four children. Ndi says from Bamenda, his family will continue to his village, Ndop, located seven kilometers to the north of Bamenda. Ndi says last week he went to Ndop to confirm that peace is returning before traveling with his wife and children. It was very scary seeing signs of uh, bullets on a lot of buildings. But amazingly, surprisingly, people are having fun during the days. There is business. There's a lot of movement. I talked to a few men and they're happy that now there is some peace, there is some calm. They can now work and take care of their families. Cameroon's unrest began in 2017 after a government crackdown on peaceful protests led by English-speaking lawyers and teachers who complained of being marginalized by the French-speaking majority. Now, officials say the violence is dying down, making it safe for displaced residents in the northwest and southwest to go home. Deben Chofo is the governor of the northwest region. He says besides displaced children, merchants and government workers who fled separatist atrocities are returning to their towns and villages. The security situation has improved a lot, allowing many people to come back to their various villages. The diaspora are also coming back to celebrate their weddings. The administration is functioning very well. The traditional rulers are coming back. Political activities have resumed in many areas. Globally, uh, Norway is faring well. Cameroon's government says thousands of people are also returning to the restive southwest region. The region's governor, Bernard Okalia Bilai, says civilians who are returning are finding peace. He says no major separatist attack has been reported in Cameroon's southwestern region within the past six weeks. Bilai says the separatist's ability to attack has been greatly weakened by Cameroon's military with the support of civilians. After five years, families are coming back. The population in the most of the area, they are the one arresting some terrorists, helping us to seize weapons. They are the one inviting the forces of land order to say that this man is suspect. Bilai said people whose houses have been destroyed should inform local administrators. The government says the presidential plan for the reconstruction and development of the English-speaking northwest and southwest regions has funds to rebuild destroyed houses.
the reconstruction and development plan envisions construction of routes, schools, hospitals, public edifices, markets, private homes and villages in areas destroyed in the fighting. On social media platforms, including WhatsApp and Facebook, separatist groups deny that their firepower has been reduced by the military. They say they have asked fighters to reduce attacks on the military so civilians can celebrate Christmas. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon. You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Five refugees at the Zaleka refugee camp in central Malawi were injured when a hand grenade exploded at the camp's main market Wednesday evening. Police have arrested a Rwandan refugee suspected of intentionally detonating the device. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. Police say three people, including a leader of the refugees from Burundi, sustained serious injuries and are hospitalized at the nearby Doha District Hospital. Gladson Mbumpa is the police spokesperson in the Doha District. He told the VOA that one of the seriously injured victims, Budoi Federi, who leads the Burundi refugees at the camp, was with his secretary, Bruno Ndaishime, when they saw a person lighting matches before throwing a grenade at them. A bear fell down while breathing and he was largely to the health center where he was also fed largely to the additional seat, you know, throwing several cuts on the flexes. The female also certainly cuts on the flexes and the, at the back. Three other people, including an 11-year-old, sustained injuries of varying degrees. They are also hospitalized at Doha. Meanwhile, police have arrested for the two-year-old Rwandan refugee, Umotoni John Peter, who is suspected of intentionally setting off the device. He is expected to appear in court to answer charges of grievous harm after police concluded their investigation. The incident they faced at the camp has caused panic and fear among refugees there, including Asana Abdullah, who is from Burundi. She says, I did not sleep last night, and today I am just staying indoors. I can't even get to the market. She says this incident will dent the image of all the refugees here, and as a result, authorities could decide to chase out all of them for the mistakes of one or two people. Government authorities... And the UN's refugee agents say UNHCR have condemned the attack. Ken Emmanuel Rugajo is Associate External Relations and Reporting Officer for UNHCR in Malawi. We are urging the authorities to simply investigate the incident and perpetrators are held to account. Our deepest sympathies to the victim of this heinous attack and their loved ones. We are checking on their well-being and offer the support that they may need. The Zalega refugee camp was meant to host about 12,000 refugees, but now it is a home to more than 50,000 refugees, many of them from the Democratic Republic of Congo, the rest from Burundi, Ethiopia, Rwanda, and Somalia. Lukajo said overcrowding could have contributed to the attack. It's shocking to see such incidents happening in Zalega. But we are also concerned that um, the congestion 
in Zaleka, it's possibly making it difficult for security agencies to do their work properly. Plans are underway to reconstruct the abandoned Luwane refugee camp to help ease the overcrowding at Zaleka. But UNHCR officials say they are having trouble finding the needed funds to rebuild the Luwani camp. Meanwhile, Rukajo says the UN refugee agency has suspended its activities at the Zaleka camp until the security situation is rectified. Police spokesperson in Bumpa says police are now patrolling the camp to calm the tense situation there. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. And now time for World Cup Highlights. Sunny Young is standing by to update us on all the goings-on. Another sporty welcome to African News tonight, Sunny. Sporty World Cup greetings, Jaheus. Always good to be on uh, African News tonight. I wish I could be talking about a Moroccan victory, but it was not meant to be. Uh, they fell to defending World Cup champion France on Wednesday night, 2-0. Uh, I will say, Jaheus, you know, even, even though the Moroccans went down to defeat, I thought they played very well. And uh, even in the second half, they were creating scoring opportunities, uh, you know, doing attacks uh, against the French. But an early goal by Theo Hernandez in the fifth minute, that really kind of put the Moroccans on their heels. And France went on to a 2-0 victory. But this World Cup is not over yet. Uh, yeah, hey, no, it's the, not. For the Atlas Lions of Morocco. <laughs> What's going to happen to uh, Who are they going to play with for, I think, the third place, right? They, that's right. They, they now get to play on Saturday in the third place match in Qatar against Croatia, a team they're very familiar with. If we go back to November 23rd, those two teams played in the group stage uh, of this World Cup and they played to a scoreless draw. So both teams very familiar with each other. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the Moroccans would love to leave Qatar, Yehaz, uh with that third-place medal, yes. which is something uh, no African team has ever achieved. Uh, no African team up until Morocco had reached uh, the semifinals of the World Cup uh, so still a lot to play for on Saturday, Yehaz. Yes, yes. Uh, but I need I need your input on this very vital matter. Sonny, after 63 matches across 28 days, the two best teams and two best players from the 2022 FIFA World Cup are left standing. I, I have to agree with you, Yehaz. We have uh, arguably the two biggest stars in international football, uh, Kylian Mbappe for France. He'll be going up against Lionel Messi of Argentina. My God. They're, also te- they're also teammates, Jaheus, uh, for Paris Saint-Germain in the French capital. So, again, these are two players that know each other very well. Uh, Argentina lost its opening match to Saudi Arabia, and now they're trying to lift the World Cup trophy. Uh, the only team that's done that losing its opening match at the World Cup and then coming back to lift the trophy. Spain in 2010 in South Africa, Yehaz. 
my God, uh, history repeating itself. And Macron also mentioned how uh, Messi and Mbappé were uh, playing for France. In, in... <laughs> President Macron was quite diplomatic. Uh, uh -huh. he, sa he says he he says he likes it. He likes when Messi is playing in Paris. Yes, but yes. I don't think he feels so strongly about him when he's playing against. The French national team. I think, and, and he I was, think things might change a little bit. And he was very magnanimous <laughs> to Morocco as well. He was. He praised Morocco. Uh, he, he described them as a great team. And he said they played a beautiful game in the World Cup. And I think Morocco will leave uh, Qatar uh, with, with a lot of new fans, Yehaya. Exactly. A lot exactly. of new fans around the world. Yes, we will always remember Morocco. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I thank Sunny. I am Yehayus Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Patrick Dea, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.